0: Welcome to the Arise Church Podcast. At Arise, we're a community of imperfect people pursuing and experiencing a transformative relationship with Jesus and one another. For more information, you can find us online at ariseonline.org. Thanks for listening. Well, the Spirit of the Lord is obviously here today. So today I wanna to bring a message on how to take heart when you're broken. We're gonna end this morning with communion. The message is gonna be short today. So all God's people said, amen. <laughs> but I hope that this word is a word of encouragement. I hope that this is a word that brings hope in whatever situation that you're in, that opens hearts and that God will speak into our lives. You know, I think that the word of God is supernatural. I think there's something about coming together as a body of Christ. and. We open the word, and we dive into the depths of the riches of God's word, and in that act, everything can change. Do you believe that? So let's ask God for that today, because I think that there's probably someone in this room who needs that to happen. They need something in their life to change, and so let's ask Jesus into this space and into this moment. God, we thank you that your presence, that your spirit so obvious in this place right now, God, that I pray that it would remain, and God, I pray that it would continue to pry open our hearts. God, those areas of our lives that we've closed off to you, that we've closed off to the truth of your word, that the areas of our lives that we've closed off out of fear, out of fear what you might do if we let you in and the changes that we might have to make. God, stir our hearts. Give us courage. Give us hope. Father, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing in our series on take heart, kind of what to do when the storms of life are raging and the storms of life are are blowing. We're going to read Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. It's a lengthy passage of scripture today. We're going to kind of make our way through the text and I hope that it will give us some insight into the season that we're about to be in or you're about to be in as a church. Maybe the season that you're in specifically in your life. We looked at this text in our Elephant in the Room series. Uh, We're going to look at it through a little bit of a different lens this morning. Now, there is only one interpretation of Scripture, but there are multiple applications. Uh, There was an ancient rabbinical tradition that said that the Word of God was like a prism. And depending on how you would turn that prism, the light would refract through it in a different way, and you would see different colors, and you would see different truths about who God is, and so we're going to kind of do that this morning. To set the scene here, Luke chapter 24, Jesus has been crucified, Jesus has risen from the dead, but there are some disciples who don't have a proof, or don't have proof of his resurrection at this time, and so he decides to appear to these disciples who are on this road leaving Jerusalem, and they're on their way to this place called Emmaus. Luke 24, verse 13, it says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. All these things that had had happened. What had happened? Well, Jesus had been crucified. He had been made to be a public spectacle. It looked like darkness had won the day and that Jesus was just another of the many, many maniacal Messiah Figures. And so they're talking about this as they leave Jerusalem, the place that God, that Jesus had told them to stay, where the rest of the disciples and the believers were gathered and were waiting. It says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So they're going away from Jerusalem. They're going away from the place that Jesus had asked them to stay, where the disciples were gathered, where they were waiting. And Jesus shows, off, shows up and he kind of heads them off at the pass. It goes to show us that God can appear to you even when you're headed in the wrong direction in life. I think that's good news, hopefully, for someone today. I think back in my life of all the times where God has cut me off, where God has headed me off at the pass, where God has redirected my life, called me to repent, and said, hey, you're going in the wrong direction. You need to turn and go the other way. Jesus can show up in our lives even when we're going in the wrong direction. We see this in the story of Saul on the road to Damascus where God stepped in and just so powerfully, powerfully intervened and changed his life from that moment forward. But then it says this, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I wonder how many times Jesus has showed up in our specific situations, but we didn't recognize that it was him in the moment. Maybe he intervened, and it wasn't until days or months or years later that you were able to look back and see, man, that was Jesus. He was there. He was present. He was by my side. And at the time, I didn't know it, but now I do. These disciples, as they're on the way to Emmaus, they're walking next to the risen Messiah, but they don't even know it at this point. Verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking Sad. <clears throat> so he asked them this question not because Jesus is seeking an answer. Jesus knows what they're talking about. Jesus knows the condition of their heart. Jesus knows and could tell them what they were thinking, but what he asks them this question to kind of slow their pace and he's trying to surface something in their hearts and in their minds. It says that they're sad, that they're broken. Jesus can show up in our lives in our despair, in our grief, in our sorrow, in our sadness, in our Brokenness, And in my own life, I see that this is a pattern in a way that God operates. And in my life, Jesus most often shows up in my broken situations where hope is in short supply. It says, then one of them named Cleopas, well, now we know why he was sad, because his mom named him Cleopas, <laughs> answered him. He said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days He's asking the only one who really knows what's going on, do you know what's going on? And Jesus kind of plays dumb here in his response. He says, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth. And they begin to tell Jesus about Jesus. They're standing next to the Messiah and they begin to tell Jesus all about who he is. It says, a man who is a prophet mighty indeed in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death <clears throat> and crucified him. Then they go on to say this, but we had hoped, but we had hoped. I think everyone could probably insert something there in their own life. What have you hoped for that didn't happen? What is that thing in your life that you had placed all your hope and trust in and you're still waiting for either God to respond or it just didn't play out or didn't happen? What had you hoped for in your life? But we had hoped, these disciples had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, So they heard the testimony of what had happened. Um, they, some of these disciples had gone back and seen the empty tomb, but they had not seen Jesus. So it was not enough proof for them. They wanted more, and so they left Jerusalem, and they're on their way to Emmaus. And then Jesus says this, And he said to them, "O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, that this guy you're talking about, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself." He didn't quote Scripture back to them. It says he interpreted to them the Scriptures. They knew the text as his disciples, as probably Hebrews raised in that tradition. They would have been very well acquainted with the text of the old Scriptures, but he interpreted to them the text, all the missing pieces that they had missed about who Jesus was, this Messiah. Jesus is interpreting the text for them. He was the Word. John one one says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us." Jesus is telling them everything about Himself that He Himself wrote in the Bible, but they still didn't know who He was. So, so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and He acted as if He was going farther. Jesus acted as if he was going to go farther. Do you ever feel like God is going to leave or has left your situation? Scripture says that God will never leave us. God won't leave us, but often he'll provoke us. He might provoke us in feeling that he might leave us to understand our need for him. The reason in your life that it may seem like God is playing hide and seek with you is not because he doesn't want you to find him, but because he wants you to learn to look for him in your situation, to see him in a different way and in a deeper meaning than you could ever imagine or that you ever have before. And then the text goes on, but they urged him. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him, to, urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. God always will stay with us if we call on him to stay with us. He'll draw near to you in your brokenness. It says he'll stick closer than a brother by your side, revealing things about himself that you've never seen before. And then verse 30 happens. When he was at the table with them, it says he took the bread, he blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. So they've traveled seven miles from Jerusalem. It was probably hot, a long, dusty road, so there's nothing abnormal about this scene. They were hungry. They sit down for dinner. It says that Jesus took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and then he gave it to them. And in that, verse 31 kind of seems to come out of nowhere because they didn't recognize Jesus for the seven miles as they walked from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They didn't recognize Jesus All the while that he was interpreting the Old Testament scriptures from Malachi all the way back to Moses about himself, they didn't recognize Jesus then. It says they recognized him when he took the bread, broke the bread, or blessed the bread, broke the bread, and gave it to them. And it says, and then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. When Jesus revealed himself to them, it says they rose and went back to where they should have been all along, just because Jesus had appeared. My hope is that if there's someone in this room today that's going the wrong direction in life, whatever that may be, that Jesus would reveal himself to you today in whatever situation that you find yourselves and that he would redirect you and you will go back and go back on the path that he's called you toward. So so they go back and they get back to Jerusalem and they find the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread." how Jesus was made known to them only in the breaking of the bread. I think there's something deeper going on here than simply a meal that Jesus shared with these disciples. Maybe in the breaking of the bread the disciples saw something. In the breaking of the bread the disciples saw something of the way that God has always worked and the way that God always does work in our lives. It says he took the bread, it says he blessed the bread, It says he broke the bread and then he gave the bread. Now, if we go back two chapters in the book of Luke, the night before, or the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before he was crucified, Luke chapter 22, it says, as he gathered with his disciples in the upper room, what was called the Last Supper, it says, he took the bread and when he had given thanks or when he had blessed the bread, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So here again, he took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and he gave the bread. Let's go back to the story from last week, Luke chapter 9. There are 5,000 hungry people, and the disciples are there wondering where they're going to get food. And there's this little boy, and he's got some bread and some fish. And look what happens in Luke chapter 9, verse 16. And taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them, and he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples before the crowd. In 1 Corinthians 11, as the Apostle Paul with the early church is giving instructions about how um, to kind of operate this last supper, this communion meal as we call it, he says that we are to take the bread, we are to bless the bread, we are to uh, break the bread, and that we are to give the bread. Took, blessed broke and gave. I wonder if there's not some deeper meaning here. I wonder if this is not indicative, not just how God, indicative not of just how God handles bread, but how God handles every life that he ever uses. Because don't we see the same pattern in scripture? Think back to Abraham. It says that Abraham that God took him from the Ur of Chaldeans, from his homeland, from his family, from his friends, from his kinsmen, from everything that he was familiar with, he took him from that land. And then it says he blessed him, blessed him with great riches. And it says he blessed him with a son named Isaac, his wife who was old and who was bare and unable to have kids. God blessed him with this son, the son that they had prayed for. But God broke Abraham on Mount Moriah when he was called to sacrifice his son Isaac, on the altar, and then God gave Abraham to be the father of many nations, the chosen people of Israel. Don't we also see this in the life of Joseph? God took Joseph from the pit where his brothers had left him to die. God blessed Joseph in the house of Potiphar by giving Joseph charge over everything that Potiphar owned and all of his wealth and all of his land and all of his belongings. God broke Joseph. By allowing him to stay in prison for a while. But God blessed Joseph by making him the prince of Egypt. Allowing him to occupy a position where he can save the lives of his family and of his people. To the point in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. He said what you meant for evil, God meant for good for the saving of many lives. Don't we see this same pattern in the life of Moses? It says that Moses was taken out of the river as his basket got tangled in the weaves, in the, um, in the reeds. God blessed him by allowing him to be raised in the house of Pharaoh to give him a position of influence. God broke Moses for 40 long years in the wilderness as this fledgling nation struggled to find its way to the promised land. But God gave him to be the founding leader of, his, of this nation, the greatest leader it had ever known. Isn't this how God seems to work? Doesn't this seem to be the pattern that God operates with. Don't we see this in the life of Jesus? God took Jesus from his position, seated at the right hand, the hand of power of his Father in heaven, took him from the womb of the Virgin Mary. So God blessed Jesus with the ability to to teach truth, to perform miracles, to purify this broken religious system of the day, and to usher in the kingdom of God. God broke Jesus on the mountain called Calvary for the sins of the world, but God gave Jesus to be the savior of the world, John 3:16, for God to so love the world, that He gave His only Son. Doesn't this seem to be the pattern of God? In my life, maybe in yours, this is the way that God operates. So when we come together and we take communion, first and foremost, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, how he gave himself and how his body was broken and how his blood was shed for our sins and the the pain and the turmoil that he went through for, uh, for us, the sacrifice that he made, we remember that. But it's also an opportunity to think about what God is doing in your own life. And I would imagine that everyone in this room is in one of these stages, and maybe in a couple of these stages in your own life right now. And you're not in just one stage, one time. It cycles through. Maybe for some of you, you found yourself in all four stages in 24 hours. Uh, You may feel like you're in several at the exact same time. But let's take a look at this. If you're in the taking stage, it's, it's an uncomfortable stage to be in. It's where God's taking you out of your comfort zone. We see this in Abraham when he was called out of the Ur of Chaldea's Chaldeans, everything that he was familiar with. This is the taking stage. Maybe God's taking you out of a job. Maybe God's taking you out of a relationship. Maybe God's taking you uh, from your home. Uh, In the taking stage, you know where God is taking you from or what God is taking you from, but you may not know where you're going. And the thing about this is, is this taking stage is that you just, uh, you, um, God's taking you from something. He's taking you to something you just know that wherever god's taking you even though it's an unknown thing you know you know that you're not where you were before and this is a disorienting experience we see this in the story of israel in the wilderness wanderings it wasn't long before they decided that they wanted to go back that they wanted to go back to egypt even though that they were they were abused in egypt even though they hated egypt at least when they were there they knew where they were and there was some comfort and there was some peace in that and they just didn't even want to explore where God was leaving, leading them. In the taking stage, we're filled with uncertainty. I wonder if there's anyone in this room that's in this stage right now. God's taking you from something. God's taking you from something and God's taking you to something and that place that he's taking you is just simply an unknown in your life. The good news about this stage is that God doesn't take you from something to deprive you. God takes you from something to bless you the blessing makes the taking worthwhile. In the blessing stage, these are seasons of life where God seems to be showing up, where God seems to be working through you, where God seems to be providing for you, that God seems to be using you in ways in which he's not used you before. And God requires us to leverage those times. These are often the harvest seasons of life where the fruit is plentiful, but the work is hard. It makes me think back of a few years ago, we were blessed to go to France on a trip with my my sisters, and we got to tour some of these vineyards and some of these chateaus. And we were there just a few weeks after the hard harvest. And you could see that there was a bit of kind of an exhaustion, a post-harvest exhaustion in these people's eyes as they had explained what they had just gone through. And this was a celebration where the whole community would come together and they would celebrate the blessing of the grapes that they had harvested. But it was a lot of work and it was really hard and that was actually the most important time in the whole process. That was the blessing stage, and in the blessing stage in your life, God doesn't call us just to sit back and kick our feet up and just absorb all the blessings that he's given us, but that's when God calls us to the highest level of accountability, and he says, to to whom much is given, much is required. I'm giving you these blessings so that you can do something with them. Maybe you're in the blessing stage right now, and if you are, don't get too cocky because of what comes next, and that's the breaking stage. And nobody wants to clap for the breaking stage. Nobody wants to go through the breaking stage. But it says in the scripture that it was only after the breaking of the bread that the followers recognized Jesus for who he was. Maybe God needs to break you of something today. Maybe he needs to break you of your pride. Maybe he needs to break you of your will, of your stubbornness, of your self-reliance of your dreams that he wasn't a part of, of your plans that you had written him out of. God can't give to the world bread that hasn't been broken. Is there anyone who feels like maybe they're in the breaking stage here today? I have an eight-year-old and a four-year-old son, both boys, and they really help me understand um, broken things. <laughs> when they break something, and I've become an expert in broken things after raising these two amazing boys, they do it because they're careless, because they're reckless, because they're out of control. This is not how God operates. God has carefully planned our life, and he knows that often the way to bless you is to break you. And when he does that work in your life, it's intentional. And for many people who have been through that breaking stage in their life, they've learned that the breaking stage is actually the blessing stage. We learn more about God in those moments where you're broken, where God stepped in and where God showed you that there was a reason and there was a purpose for allowing you to go through that. And in that, you realize that that far surpassed any blessings that you had ever experienced before. In the broken stage, you realize that it's not about you, but it's about a greater power working through you. This greater power that's working through you that you would never know if he didn't break you of yourself, and of your sin. Uh, A.W. Tozer, I think I've used this quote before, but I think it's relevant for us today. He said this It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt or tw- until he has broken him deeply. This church might be in a broken stage right now. We've got a lot on our plate, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of unknown in the future. And the question is, is, do we run from this brokenness? Do we run from this impending stage? Or do we go through it? Do we endure the pain because we know that we're going to come out on the other side stronger? And that God is going to teach us something powerful in and through this process. And we'll realize that through this, that this is actually the, the blessing stage. That's the question for us today. It's easy to want to go back to the blessing stage when you see the breaking stage on the horizon, but remember that God doesn't give to the world bread that he has not yet broken. For us as a church, the question is simply this Are we here to serve or are we here to be served? Are we here to give to others or are we here to be given to? Jesus took the bread, he blessed the bread, it says he broke the bread. But there's one thing to notice, that in the taking, in the blessing, and in the breaking, the bread never left his hands. You are always in God's hands. Do not believe the lie that you are only in God's hands if you are in the blessing stage. God cannot give to the world bread that has not been broken. God is a giver by nature, so when we think about the giving stage, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that what? He gave his only son for the forgiveness of sins. If God breaks you, if God allows you to go through a broken season in your life, it's for one purpose. It's so that he can give you. It's so that he can send you. It's so that he can use you. Maybe God needs to give you to your family. Maybe you've been negligent when it comes to your relationship with your wife or your kids. Maybe God wants to give you to the poor and the needy in this community. Maybe God wants to give you to your friends and to your neighbors who you've been afraid to share the truth of the gospel with out of fear. Maybe God wants to give you to help bring about the kingdom here in Sioux Falls. God cannot give bread to the world that has not been broken. Uh, when Jesus used this phrase, take heart, in Scripture, he used it multiple times in the New Testament and in the Gospels. This phrase, take heart, is a synonym for a Hebrew a phrase, be strong. Joshua 1.9, Israel, after 40 long years of wilderness wandering, they're standing on the doorstep of the promised land, and Joshua was trying to rally the troops for one last stand, one last battle. And what does he say to them? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. For what? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Take heart. Don't be afraid. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Israel, you've just gone through this broken, uh, breaking stage. We've wondered for 40 years, but God's been there. God has provided. Israel. You have been in God's hands all along. So because of that, be strong, take heart, be courageous, arise, realize that no matter what stage you are in individually, no matter what stage you are in as a church, that you are always in God's hands, that God is always there, that God is always present with you. The question is this, are you willing to be broken so that God can give you? Do you want to run back to the blessing stage? Do you want to run back to the taking stage? Are you afraid of the breaking that seems to be impending? Are you excited about when God is going to allow you to go through that, what he's going to teach you, and how God is going to give you to this world who needs to hear the truth of the gospel? A truth that far surpasses anything that the world can offer. Are you willing to go through that breaking stage knowing that God is holding you firmly in His grasp.